welcome, welcome back to another episode of Working Wife, Happy Life. I hope you all have been finding time to take care of yourself and connect in a safe way with people that make you happy. The world is a crazy, crazy place right now, um, but there was some really encouraging news out of New Zealand this week. I feel like they always have good news there. But there was an article in the New York Times that highlighted a New Zealand law that just came into effect that is aimed at eliminating pay discrimination. It's like this idea of not equal pay, which we talk about a lot here in the States, but pay equity. So if you look at equal pay across an industry, maybe there's not a pay gap uh, across men or women, but if you look at some fields that are traditionally held by men versus women, you'll find that women's pay is typically lower. So for an example, the article highlights nursing home aides and asks if the work is really that different from a male-dominated uh, workforce like corrections officers. So they're both physically exhausting, emotionally demanding, and stressful, but the nursing home aides, predominantly held by women, is paid so much less. Anyway, it's a really interesting view on the topic of equal pay and the no notion of equality not necessarily meaning equity. Um, and New Zealand is obviously country goals for a lot of us. Uh, anyway, on the topic of equality, equity, and women's needs in the workplace, I am so excited to share this conversation with today's guest. Romy Newman is the co-founder of Fairy God Boss, the largest career community for women whose mission is to improve the workplace through greater transparency. They provide millions of women with career connections, jobs, community advice, virtual events, and hard-to-find intel about how companies treat women. Romy and I discuss her professional and personal background, her career journey from marketing lipstick to upholding democracy, the understanding of how isolating it can be as women rise to higher positions within their career, and yes, at one point this lady full-on made me cry. It was such a joy getting to know Romy through this conversation. I'm sure you'll feel the same. So here it is, my conversation with Romy Newman of Fairy God Boss. When it goes, I miss the way we were young and insecure. We've grown and I've known that I'd be alone. As your son is fading. We're live here. Check, check. Okay. Romy Newman, I am so happy to have you on Working Wife, Happy Life. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Bethany. It is my pleasure. I was just sharing with you that our week ahead uh, between you and I is exactly why I started this podcast, where I was able to have such amazing uh, women engage with the community of breadwinning women at Google. And I met so many women that wanted to be a part of the conversations, but because they were private to to our because they were private to our company I wasn't able to share and this is exactly the point case in point because tomorrow I get to host you uh with Google not at Google unfortunately because of the pandemic but with Google um and today I get to host you on working wife happy life and I'm so glad to be able to connect with you your audience with your colleagues at Google yeah, I'm so great. I'm so grateful. Uh, we were just talking that it is November 8th. Is it the 8th today or the 9th? It's the 9th. Uh, so we are coming off a huge uh, election weekend, um, or week, I should say, here in the United States. Uh, I 
don't get very political on this podcast, but I do think uh, there is a lot of hope. There's a lot of uh, symbolism and history being made for women in particular, and it's a very exciting time. It's so emotional. Uh, and I, I will say that it means the world to me to see a woman, maybe not quite in the White House, but White House, I don't know, is the VP in the White House? White House adjacent. Um, but it means the the world to me. And, uh, and I have a daughter who's almost seven, and I, I think about what she is seeing and how different um, the perspective is. And, and I think um, it just means, it means everything. And I'm so proud of Kamala and everything she's accomplished. And I just, I can't wait for her to be in the forefront of representing us. Yes, I couldn't agree more. It was such a uh, emotionally charged evening on Saturday night. I was at, with some friends in Brooklyn and we all have daughters and, you know, they're all around nine or 10. And I think it got to the point where they're like, you know, they don't have the perspective of how historical this is. They yes. recognize it big deal. Um, but I almost think there's such a beauty in that, that this will be hopefully normalized for them. Yes. I do remember years ago, I took my daughter to the doctor um, and she said, mommy, are there boy doctors too? Like she bless, thought there were only bless. women doctors. And I was like, love okay, it. I love it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's that they only know what they know and what they see. And I, I just think it's, um, it's very inspiring. Uh, so you have had quite a varied career uh, prior to founding or co-founding Fairy God Boss. And I would love yes. if you could share with our community, uh, you know, what your experience was, what led you to founding your company and a little bit about Fairy God Boss. Uh, so it's impossible for me to talk about my career without talking about my mom. I will confess that I I am a child of the 70s. I was born in 1975. And um, my mom had a, a big time career in New York City, um, complete with like the full Annie Hall, uh, the ties and the suits. Um, and she really involved me in her work. I, went, I would go with her to work. She would explain her projects to me. And so I think from a young age, in so many ways, I was never going to not work in a corporate environment. I mm -hmm. knew that I was going to go to business. I think at some point quite early on, I also knew I was going to go to business school. Um, and I, um, so that was on my mind. Um, at the same time, I, I kind of found this twin love of like fashion and retail and ended up with mm. a career at Estee Lauder. Um, and it was, an, it was really an incredible early work experience. I, I still, to this day, have not ever known a company that is so, or, or was at the time anyway, so oriented toward development, fostering, um, d kind of ongoing development of your employees. And so I think I got a very, I got a, even though I had gotten a, a, a liberal arts background, um, a liberal arts degree, I got a very early kind of education, both in how to, how to like do work in a corporate setting and also how to behave in a corporate setting. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was fantastic. Um, so I still decided to see through my kind of end goal of going to business school, um, was so incredibly fortunate, um, because I graduated right after nine 11, which was a horrible time to be coming mm -hmm. out of business school. Um, but I ended up really being so supported by Estee Lauder. They, um, rehired me and then also paid for me to go to business school. Wow. Which was incredible. Yeah. Um, That's amazing. 
Good to so, know for anybody who's out there looking for a job, Estee Lauder sounds like an incredible company to work for. Exactly. And it was, um, and it's just so foundational for me. Um, so following that, I had a series of life changes. I moved to Chicago. I actually had a brief stint at Google. Um, and at that time, we never met while you were there though, did we? No, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, I ended up landing at the wall street journal, uh, and I was there for seven years. And again, I had an incredible career experience there where, um, I, I felt like I got to make real impact. And I found out, I learned about myself that that was something that was so important to me was I needed to know that I was making a critical difference to the business I was part of every day. And then I also really, um, I think having gone from marketing lipstick, which was so much fun to, um, upholding democracy through supporting a news product. I really understood, I made that sort of, I first understood that mission driven work could be so important. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I, I hadn't, for some reason, I think it was, people were not talking about it as much then I hadn't made that connection. Um, and I was in the revenue organization, but I was just every day I worked at Estee, excuse me, every day I worked at the wall street journal. I was just so keenly aware that if I sold an ad, it helped fund journalism. Mm-hmm. And, and that connection was very real to me. Um, so I think that helped orient me to the mission-driven work. Yeah. Um, I also always had very high ambitions. Uh, I wanted to, I wanted to reach the highest levels. And I think I thought I would want to be a CEO of a public company. Um, and then I think interestingly, like many women, um, when I had my son and then my daughter, I started to realize that in the next 20 years or so, I didn't know if I would be able to do that um, because of the demands, the time demands uh, put upon a corporate CEO, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's not to say that mothers can't be CEOs, um, but I uh, certainly, I I am not the breadwinner in my house or had not been have still not really not because I had a startup. Um, So it was just, I I wanted to be able to give my children more of me. Mm -hmm. And so that was was probably a very hard decision, right? Particularly, I've been so impressed over these past couple of minutes, just hearing your foundation of ambition, because I think I have always admired people who uh, are, are, are so you know, people who, who go into their freshman year of college, like knowing they're headed to med school. I've just always yeah. found yeah. that definitive path. So inspiring. <laughs> it is the opposite of, of my background. Yeah. Um, and so I'm sure that was a really challenging decision to you. Of course, my, my spidey sense says, well, we never doubt if a male CEO could have children and, you know, also be a CEO. But I think you, it sounds like you had been close enough to that world to realize that it wasn't a fit for you. Yes. And I think also, I don't think we doubt what I, I, you're right. I don't think we doubt whether men can do it, but I do think it's hard for two people in a marriage to have very, very time consuming careers when you have children. Yes. Um, if, if you want to be present and if you want, you know, if you have the choice to choose for somebody to be able to focus more on the family, we did that in my family as well. Um, my husband always said, it's very hard to have two A careers. Right. And, and not right. outsource everything. And, and I think what we see is that more often it's the higher earner whose mm-hmm. career gets prioritized. And that's probably what your breadwinning women's work is about. Right. Yes. Um, but because we know there's a gender gap 
in pay in this country, that is more often than not uh, the, the man who's who is the higher earner. And that's, I think, what we've seen in this very, very horrific BLS data that's come out where almost 900,000 women left the workforce between August and September, because with the, the heightened pressure of the pandemic and the lack of childcare, the lack of school infrastructure, uh, the, the the demands of childcare and, and frankly at home education are just so much greater. So yeah. the lower earner has just sort of by default had to drop from the workforce. Yes. Yeah. It's 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 erased generations of gains. Um exactly. And you're probably very close to to the data. It's uh yeah, it's indicative of generations of norms and uh you know, all of the things that fall on on, you know, the, the question of men versus women at work and men versus women at home. Um, I think it's exacerbated a lot of these things, but I, I do want to hear more about, about your path and yes, um, Sorry, cause that must've been a very, yeah, but that must've been a really hard decision and I applaud you for it. It was, I mean, I always say, so I basically what ended up happening is I made a very hard decision to leave my job at the wall street journal. And I, I always, I think I need to point out, um, with as much humility as I can. I was a star performer, right? I was yeah. I was promoted five times in seven years. The, wow. the company was so good to me and the work, I was so proud of the work I did. I loved the people I worked with. Um, and they did something for me that I've never heard of before, which is they let me go down to a three-day schedule and keep my executive role. Uh, right. I've never heard of that either. That's amazing. Right. But it was an extraordinary lesson for me because what's interesting is I couldn't hack it. Um, and I, when I look back, sometimes people ask me, what do I regret? And I regret that I did not make that work because really what I should have done and what I wanted to do was show the world it could work. Mm -hmm. Um, but why I felt like I couldn't make it work was that I actually felt like I was never in any place long enough. Yeah. (laughs) I felt like I wasn't working enough to make a good impact at work. I felt like I wasn't at home long enough to make a good impact. It was just like, I was just tarried and split. I'm I'm having the worst phrase pop into my head, but we use this term a lot in, in work, but you split the baby, right? Like yeah. you're literally split in half yeah. where we feel that pull as full-time working parents anyway. Um, but to even have that even more divided and more exacerbated, I, I mean, we can all relate to those days where you just feel like you're not doing anything well, but this yeah. sounded like a longer term. Every day. But I blame my own type A personality and my unhealthily high standards, because I probably was doing things. If I had been co- uh, coaching someone else who was <laughs> me, I, I was probably doing everything just fine. Right. Like maybe I wasn't doing it A plus, but I was probably doing it A minus, but I couldn't. And you're probably was- doing more in three days than most people do in five. And you just, yeah. It, so this is a good lesson in cutting yourself a little slack. Yes. And, and, I, and again, I go back to if I had just stayed the course and shown it could have worked. What could it, what would that have shown the world, right? Shown yeah. good things. Um, so I'm well, I, I, I assure you that ad tech is alive and well, yeah. um, and that the ad the ad industry has gone on. However, I see your point that the bigger underlying point was: look, I could be an executive, I could be present for my family, I could kind of find a way to have a foot in both worlds and be successful there. Right. Well, and open the door for a world where any executive could work three days. Hmm. Yeah. Imagine. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, <laughs> yeah. and, and, but I, 
but also what I'm hearing from you is two things. One is that you have an extraordinary knack for sniffing out companies that are extremely supportive of, of women and, and education and uh, flexibility, which is fantastic. Um, but also like, had you not had those experiences and had those questions yourself, I don't think it would have led you to what you're doing today. And I don't want to put that in your, those yeah. words in your mouth, but that's what I, it, this seems to be building up to. Yeah, exactly. So when I decided to leave, um, and you know, you know how people say you leave your boss, you don't leave your company. I had the best mm -hmm. boss. I did not leave mm -hmm. my boss. Like when I decided to leave, I say there were 10 reasons that I eventually left and they were so hard. And it took me a year. It took me a year from my like initial thought that I was probably ready to leave to actually leaving. And, um, and among them, among them were that there was a lot of management change at the journal, which was hard. We, we went through several CEOs in a short period of time. Mm -hmm. um, and so my institutional credibility was sort of, I had to rebuild it every time we had a new CEO, Yeah, uh, which was hard. But then also uh, it was hard to be in an, an industry that was in decline. And as, and as much as news media is so essential to our democracy and um, important to me, when you're in charge of revenue, it's hard to go. It's hard to go in each day knowing you probably like unless there's something really extraordinary happening, you're not going to win. So even mm. selling digital display media and whenever it was twenty when I left 2011, 2012, you know. Um, so so it was just really hard to know. I was like sailing into headwinds every day. But meanwhile, also as that was happening, I had a bunch of ad tech vendors that were coming in, and I'm like looking at Silicon Alley, and I had been at Google, so I was like aware of the startup world, but looking at Silicon Alley and like, there's just, it's all up and to the right. And there was so much energy and there's so much vibrance. There's so much opportunity. And I also, so I could, there was also more flexibility because it was not as much of a corporate structure. This idea mm -hmm. that you had to be at your desk at 9am, which is gone. And, and in my time at Google, I became familiar with the idea of OKRs and this idea of like performance-based work where it matters so much less whether you're at your desk and it matters so much more whether you get your work done. And I've always- Just for just for our listeners, OKRs is an acronym for objectives and key results. And it's how Google measures uh, performance uh, on a rolling basis where you set your goals and, and how you're going to achieve them. Exactly. Uh, and Fairy Godboss too. Um, oh, <laughs> so- uh, Right. So I, and, and I thought even with my situation, even with my, my need to be devoted to my kids, I knew I had enough time to do great work. It just mm -hmm. wasn't always aligned with the exact hours that I mm -hmm. needed to be available. Um, and so I could see that if I could start my own thing, or if I could even be more involved in this startup space, I'd be able to do, I'd be able to be back in the place where I was living up to my standards in both places. Um, yeah. And so I started consulting with a, one of our vendors, Chartbeat, who does uh, web analytics. And while I was kind of like, I was trying to like figure out what was next for me. And my co-founder approached me, Georgine. Um, and you said that I had a knack for sniffing out good opportunities, but really I think I've just been extremely lucky. Um, and I was lucky at the, at Estee Lauder, I was lucky at the Wall Street Journal, but I've never been luckier than my co-founder who found me through a friend, a mutual um, colleague. So we, we had worked together, but we did not know each other well. And we both had a colleague that knew each other well enough to recommend us to each other. And coincidentally, my co-founder had been an executive at Dow Jones, the parent of the Wall Street Journal. 
and had gotten forced out in one of the management shakeups mm. and was two months pregnant when that happened. Mm. Um, and I should point out, she's a true product person. So um, she, no one knew she was pregnant. There was not discrimination, but she thought, oh, I'm going to have to go on this job search and I'm going to be visibly pregnant on the job yeah. search. So I need to do as much research as I can about the companies that I want to work for before I'm in the room. Right. And she thought, she went to the internet and realized that, um, I say that the job search has been TripAdvisored, right? Like Glassdoor and other platforms like that it created this world where I haven't looked in a job in, for a job in a long time, but it used to be like, you, you wouldn't know that much, or maybe you went to like the vault, but it, you weren't able to get that much information about a company before you worked there. Now right. there's all these employee reviews. And so she was overwhelmed by the volume of all these employee reviews that were out there, yet none of them answered the set of questions she had, which were, how mm. are women treated? Do mm -hmm. women have access to promotion? What are benefits like? Is there maternity leave? What, you know, what kind of benefits can I expect? Are there women in senior leadership positions? Yeah. I mean, these are, th and these are things that you can't, there's such a double bind for women to ask these questions during that process, yes. right? Where it's, yeah. you can, they're critical needs to know, but asking them could lead to an assumption that maybe you're a handful, maybe this, you're going to be the squeaky wheel. Like there's a perception in how women ask, you know, we can talk about compensation at some point, but that's another part of it. Like, how are you measuring equal and fair pay, you know, how are you measuring equal access to promotions, equal access to, you know, prestigious projects, et cetera. So how are you and, and measuring access to equal pay and, and who, how are you creating accountability to employers too, mm -hmm. right? Because the world has changed a lot. So in 2015, so, so Georgine came to me and we just started to see like, was there an opportunity for this? And so we did what any good startup does and we did user interviews. And uh, what I think is really interesting and relevant to your audience is that the number one thing we heard from our potential audience, which was, um, it, it, it was not entry level women, but sort of mid-level women who in most cases are just rising to the ranks of a manager level and or are starting a family. Mm -hmm. And what we found was the number one thing we heard was how isolated they felt. And the more senior they got, the more mm -hmm. isolated they felt. So we said, how can we create a community that is supportive of where women can support each other? And, and also, um, one, one of the communities that we looked at a lot in terms of the audience growth and search ranking and that kind of thing was baby center. We couldn't get over how parents were rushing to give each other advice about having babies and being a parent. Mm -hmm. But where, why is there not this place where women are rushing to support each other in the workplace and rushing to give each other advice? Um, was baby center that site? I'm trying to remember when I was pregnant. Was it that site that will tell you like now it's the size of a pea and then you yeah. can talk to a bunch of other people that are in the same stage? Yes, exactly. Yeah, I remember exactly. it. Yeah. Uh, and then also anytime you're like, wow, my kid has a weird shaped rash, you Google that and you are on baby center and you right. will hear 20 explanations about the rash. But I just, you know, and you look at the, there's communities like that around gardening and around cooking. We, we name it. Women had not yet built the destination, the place that we come together around career. So we decided that's what Fairy Godboss would be. And there was, and there's an asterisk, which is we realized that to do it, you would have to always have the opportunity to be anonymous mm -hmm. because there's so much sensitivity totally. uh, for, for 
clear reasons. And, and what we see is that women have really hard to ask questions. Um, like one that comes up too often, I see this frequently, is somebody will say, oh, hey, I just got promoted into a new role. And I found out that a man who reports to me, used to be my peer, makes more than me still. After my promotion, he still makes more than me, right? And so that's the kind of question, what do I do about this, right? That's the kind of question that we see our community bring anonymously. Mm -hmm. And then our, and, and, and so we, we had this idea for the name Fairy God Boss, but the implication being that just anybody who participates in the community is helping women in the workplace by helping each other. So you can be a Fairy God Boss by jumping in and answering this question. Yeah. Because this woman wants advice. Right. And, and I, and it's exactly right because you have to, particularly when you're talking about compensation, um, or any of those areas, it's so sensitive within your own walls. And particularly if you're in a leadership position Yes. and many times you have to showcase your, you have to advocate for the party line and the company's, you know, best interests, which in sometimes can conflict with your own personal, um, interests. And how do you have that conversation again in a productive way? I mean, I think studies have shown, and you can correct me if you know differently, but, Studies have shown that women actually ask for promotions and raises just as often as men. They're just not as likely to get them. Yeah, so so it's, it's interesting. There are studies that show both. There's a lot of conflicting oh, really? data on oh. this. Yeah. I guess you can make data say anything you want. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um. it's, yeah, that's, I, I mean, it's really, I think that that kind of protection of the anonymity, but still feeling that like comfort of a community there to support you regardless of, of who you are, what stage, um, what, what range of compensation you're talking about. I think that's really important. And as you pointed out also, um, at the beginning of our conversation, there are a lot of large corporations that made big headway into creating support networks for their women within their mm -hmm. walls through employee resource groups. There's also a lot of people who don't have access to those types of groups. Right. Exactly. And, and that's, and that comes back down to exactly what you're saying is if you're looking for a job, these are critical areas of value that are important for women to know. So that's the value in your platform is finding out that information. But also if you're already in a job and you don't have that transparency, or sometimes you just don't have any idea of how good it might be somewhere else, or on the flip side of that, that the grass is greener somewhere else. And so having the ability to play that out in a safe space uh, without risk is is really attractive. Yeah. And, and the world has changed a lot in a very short time. So we launched in 2015. And I promise you, when we first went and initially fundraised and tried to sell into companies, the, the almost un universal question we would get was, well, why would women need a different career site? Like, why would there be a different one for women? And I will tell you something, no one ever asks us that anymore. It's interesting. Yeah. I've seen such a wholesale mindset shift on that. Yes. And then I think what, what we've even seen in that amount of time is if you look at almost any, this did not exist in 2015. If you look at almost any corporation's career site, you will see that they have, um, they will articulate their, their initiatives that support diversity and inclusion, front mm -hmm. and center. Mm -hmm. um, so there's been a real movement. So I think whereas our kind of reason for being in 2015 was to help shed light on this at all, now it's more to hold the companies ac accountable. Like they say this, is it true? Right. Because before they didn't even say this, they didn't say anything. Right. I, I often think about, you know, 
when I was just starting at Google, you know, a million moons ago and, and so young, um, I don't remember us even talking about topics like this. I don't even remember whether or not we had a women's, you know, employee resource group. And think of the irony because Cheryl Sandberg was there then. Well, so what's funny about that <laughs> is I, I was interviewing a, a colleague and she and I started around the same time. And I remember when Cheryl advocated to get the um, expectant mother's parking closer to the building. Yeah. I tell that, that story all the time. It is one of my faves. It, that was one of the first moments where I was like, oh, yeah. And and obviously, you know, I was newly married. I was not pregnant. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. Okay. Somebody's fighting for this. She was the one that fought for the extended maternity leave benefits. And so you you see all of these things, but it was not a big conversation. It was very subtle. It was obviously something she was experiencing at the highest levels. Um, but, you know, she also built a team of a lot of female leaders. So in our little bubble, we didn't feel it. And then it just started to become more and more apparent. So it is interesting to see I think we can get frustrated when we look at the data or we look at the percentage of, you know, C-level Fortune 500 women um, or women on boards and you can you can get discouraged. But the truth is that the activity of this conversation, the recognition of the need is so stark from where it was, like you're saying, just five, 10 years ago. Yes. Dramatic, dramatic. So I think we can we can view that as progress and, and appreciate it. I think there's also been, I hope, an increased acknowledgement that there's a business case for this. And it's not just about um, reputational issues or, or, um, or even human rights, which of course is human rights are very important. Right. But, but that I think there's this mounting set of research that shows that diversity drives business performance. Right. And I hope, I think people are, are seeing that, believing that. Um, you know, I think there's yeah. a study recently that showed that companies with women CFOs outperform, outperform versus the ones that have male CFOs on this in terms of stock price. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that it's, uh, yes, there's obviously the inherent underlining. It's the right thing to do. I think until this becomes a problem that companies see as something they need to fix for the benefit of the bottom line, that's when you start to see the real movement. But I keep going back to the AA lines that, you know, one, the first step is acknowledging you have a problem. Um, and I think, you know, the, the challenge is when you're in your career, right? So I'm about 20 years into my career, probably be doing this another 20 years, but can I wait another 10 years for a real sea change? Like it's not, it's going to take generations for that type of equity to, to come to bear. Yeah. I mean, it is one of my most and least favorite statistics to quote, which is out of the world economic forum. Um, they show that it's over 250 years to achieving gender parity in the workplace. And so and I, yeah, I mean, that if we compare that to what's happening with the polar ice caps, like it's, like right. what is going to, is this ever going to happen? No. Right. Um, and, and so the, what I say is, you know, it's not going to happen in my lifetime, but mm. what would it take? What would we have to change? What would we do differently to have it happen in my daughter's lifetime? Right. Right. And that's, you know, we started talking about just the empowerment for little girls who are seeing their first female VP 
the first woman of color, the first black, the first child of immigrants, the first Asian Indian American, you know, it's the, there's so many ceilings that were broken with that one nod um, that has such tremendous global impact, right? Yeah. This isn't just, go ahead. Yeah. And I, I connect that back to the Sheryl Sandberg story because I, to me, the, the point of that story is that until she was in the executive room, no one was in the executive room who cared about whether there was expectant mother parking. Mm-hmm. Right. And so now we've got someone with a seat at the table who has all of those perspectives. Yes. And, yeah. Uh, and, that, so, and that's what, and that's what matters and can surround herself with more like that. So she's not the only, and she's not the singular voice, because I think that is when you talked about kind of the senior level of women's careers and how lonely it can be, um, because you are so often that for that only woman in the room, the only one with that perspective. And there's an added exhaustion to having to be the one to speak up or having to be the one to speak on behalf of an entire group of people. And I, and, and people of color feel this even to a a, a more extreme extent. Um, and, and that's where a community like yours will break that barrier as well at those senior ranks. That's the hope. That's the hope. And, and, um, and to connect it back to one more thought, because we are at this reckoning moment they you know with many many leave, women leaving the workforce and i think mckinsey's data showed that there's still 25 percent of women working that are considering leaving um and so i in my career had this amazing mentor rebecca blumenstein who um is now deputy managing editor at the new york times um but first of all she did what all women should be doing which is she took time out of her day regularly to just check in with me um and she really mentored me um, and and gave me a senior senior woman leader touch point that I could have elsewhere in the organization because in my department I was the most senior woman, mm. and um, she when I when I wanted to just walk away, and believe me there were a lot of times I wanted to just walk away. She said just hold just hold on with one finger just hold on just one finger. And I think about that all the time. And so to all these women who are struggling through this most difficult year. Um, and who are dealing with homeschooling and are dealing with um, with reduced work opportunities and perhaps a, a greater workload, hold on with just just one finger. And, I'm and maybe- sorry, that I'm like getting very emotional. That is such a moving expression because, uh, you know, I think it recognizes the struggle that so many women are in, and it you know it it provides such a lifeline. That's just such a really beautiful visual and sentiment. Yeah. And my God, why am I crying? Yeah, <laughs> Do my I viewers get this? I'm full on crying right now. <laughs> this and is don't why I keep tissues right here. Too, right? Lower your standards. Like I, the only person standards, when I left the journal, the only person standards I was not upholding were my own. Everyone else was fine. Mm-hmm. So, so <laughs> why are my standards so high? Let lower your, like, it's okay. Like it, it's 2020. Yeah. It's okay to just be good enough this year. It's okay yeah. to just get by. Right. It's, and it's, um, you know, I'm also thinking of, I remember when I, uh, kind of came back So my entire time that I've worked at Google, I've never, uh, that I've been a mom, I have not reported into a working mom. 
Um, and so I kind of took it upon myself as I grew in a leadership position and had more and more women around me that were having babies as our, you know, median age grew up, I guess, at our company. Um, I always shared that, look, Google gives you a tremendous, tremendously generous maternity leave. Um, so I always encourage people to have your babies at Google, go wherever you want afterwards, but have them there. Um, but also just to try coming back, just see how it fits. It's super hard, but try it. It, because I think you can really surprise yourself. It is obviously one of the most unnatural feelings to come back to work after your maternity leave, to leave your baby and someone else's care. I felt that day. It is. And it, and it's so grandiose in terms of like, who would love my baby the same way I do. And then also so minute as to like, well, that's not how I fold the onesies. You know, it's like, there's this whole spectrum of shit that you're just like, this is this is how I need to influence my child's life and be there for it. And it's a very, very hard adjustment. But I think some women, a lot of women actually find more of their identity when they do come back and are able to kind of fit, compartmentalize life more. Yes. And I think, again, where mentorship um, is so important, I, I think there should be mentors for like women who've had babies because what it's like to be going back to work. I mean, fortunately, nobody, I've had to go back at three months with both my kids at Google. I don't think you have to go back until six months or a year. Like or five or six months. Yeah. yeah. So you even a little bit longer, but I can tell you that whatever you're experiencing at six months is not what you're experiencing at nine months. It's not what you're experiencing. It's what like, so it feels so profound in that moment, but the, the experience of parenthood changes so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wish someone would have explained to me that it's all just a moment in time, you yeah. know, and that it, and it's going to change. And that like you, you, one day you're going to be where I am, which is like, my kids are gone all day and I'm very lucky. My kids are in school, um, but <laughs> I'm like, my, how, how is that possible? <laughs> but it's like, they don't, they don't notice that I'm working. <laughs> right. right. Yeah, and, exactly. It's like, it's, it's something where, uh, I remember when I came back just feeling so, uh, relieved that I could literally just go to the bathroom and nobody cared. Right. And like I'm a cup of coffee. I went and bought a cup of coffee or I'm going to get up and have a snack and I don't have to share it with anyone. No (laughs) one's going to be grabbing at my hand while I'm trying to put it in my mouth. And you know, it's those freedoms that you just get back in your skin a little bit and it's not for everybody, but I do think it's one of those things where you do have to try. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit because you mentioned when we had our, our initial conversation, um, kind of tips and, and perspective around women and negotiations and talking about money. And I think we're at such a critical point right now where I I do believe there's a lot more breadwinners who have become breadwinners because of the pandemic and the unemployment situation. Um, even if you are or aren't, many, many companies do their compensation, annual compensation planning cycles around this time. Yes. Um, and I would just love if you could share with our listeners any thoughts or insights or you know, trends that you're seeing across your community in terms of this topic. Yeah. So I feel so fortunate because uh, I moved into sales. One of the th- best things I ever did for my career, which was not until I was 35, so like a good whatever, 13 years into my career, I moved into sales. And so now I come at everything like I'm selling, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think um, 
anyone who's going to ask for an increase has to think about it as they're making a sales pitch. And the, the fundamental thing of a sales pitch is what's in it for the buyer, what's in mm -hmm. it for the person that you're trying to convince, right? And so in this case, you are going to have to, and, and because I've been a manager and I've experienced it from the other side, you have to convince this person. It's not like the person, you're, it's very rare that you go ask your manager for an increase and your manager has the authority to say, okay, yes or no. Right. Right. So what you're really asking your manager for is to advocate for you. Mm -hmm. And that's hard. It's really like going, and I've been on the other side, it is really hard to advocate to get somebody a raise. Um, even if you really want them to have one. And it requires an enormous amount of political capital. So mm -hmm. when you're asking for a raise, what you're really asking, what you have to convince them is that, A, it's merited, and that it's not just merited because what you've done in the past, but it will be behoove them in the future, right? Nobody really wants to make up for what you've already done. They right. want to pay for what they're going to get in the future. They want to make an investment that's a sound investment for the company, number one. And then number two, that it's going to be worth their political capital to go advocate for you, to go advocate for you in lieu of somebody else, because we know that there's not inf right. infinite resources to give people raises. Um, and, and so you have to help them make the case. You have to show them that it matters to you, which often requires asking more than once. <laughs> and, and, um, you have to, and, and the other thing that I find is that it's not a one and done transaction. So, uh, I see a lot of women go, they ask for a raise, they hear no, <laughs> and it, they consider it like, i I see it where it's, they feel it's a value judgment on that. Mm. Of course it's not. Right. So it should actually, it just means they haven't convinced their manager yet, right? And so now what they have to do is figure out what's going to convince their manager, which often might mean a dialogue. They may have to understand what it's going to take. How can they convince their manager and what a timeline could look like? How do you go on a journey to convince your manager to advocate for you maybe? And maybe if it's too late in this cycle, it's in the next cycle. Yeah. No, I think that's such an important thing to think about it as a journey. And, and like you said, you know, one thing with negotiations is it's, it, it might not just be about compensation, right? So maybe part of, of the issue is that there's, you know, an assignment or a skill set that you haven't yet showcased. Well, where are some projects where I can get into that? Is there something I yeah. can take on? Is there something I can create? Like you can build a much more compelling dialogue around it than just the transactional aspect of more pay. That's right. That's right. I, I think that's, I think that's a really critical part of, um, thinking about this at, think about your career as a journey. Um, you know, I think for those of us that were in the corporate world and you got promoted a kajillion times, there's a very weird, uh, reaction to it. It's almost when it's in your head, you want it more than when it actually happens. Yeah. Right. You're just like, okay, fine. What's next? Right. You know, and it's, and it's, if it's about, I guess one piece of advice, and I'd love your perspective on this too, is, is what is this really about for you? Is it about recognition? Is it that you feel that you are under underpaid? Is it that you feel like you're underutilized? Like what is the underlying issue and how do you then target your ask based on making that more fulfilling for you. That's right. That's right. And I think that's so important. What is your motivation for wanting this raise? Maybe it's yeah. just like you've got bills. Yeah. Yeah. Do you see when, when you talk about kind of the values of, um, actually let me back up for a second. Cause that's a really important point. And I think 
there's so many families right now that are struggling financially. Um, and, and that may be really the critical point. Like I am struggling. I have a partner who's been furloughed or laid off or, you know, whatever the case may be, I've had to hire more help at home because my kids can't go to school. Um, what is your recommendation for bringing that perspective into the workforce? Because I'd assume there's a lot of companies that are not that empathetic to that. Yeah. Well, I think it's about, um, which you, it's not like you can do it this today, um, but it's about being specialized. And the more specialized you are, the more value you can bring, you, the more clout you can have in any kind of conversation like that. And I go back, actually, there's a woman I know who... Um, she is a commodities journalist and she is a very um, small world and she knows so much about commodities. She also has an incredible network of sources. Mm. So because there's probably fewer than five people in the world who know what she does and has the connection she does, she can call the shots. Yeah. Right? And she's like an extreme example. Right. Like if she has like whittled it down to where she works like Monday mornings and Thursday afternoon and like, and she, she asked to work only two days a week and asked for a raise at the same time. Right. My God, that's amazing. Right. And she, cause what because she say? knows, right, right. Yeah. She's got the clout. Yeah. And so uh, obviously it's hard to do this all in a moment of crisis, but I think um, looking at it more from a high level, we can all think of how we can be that specialized, that unique, that high value and know what our value is and focus on honing such a unique value we can bring that the company can't live without us. Yeah. Um, Then you have the clout. Yep. I love that. Um, So listen, we are almost up on time. I would love if you could just take a moment to share with the users um, if they came to Fairy God Boss, what, what should they expect? What can they, you know, what would be your kind of map to, to get started? Yes. Thank you, Bethany. So we, we, want all of you to be part of our community. And what that means is you can create a profile, you can post, you can ask questions, you can answer questions, you can always do it anonymously. You can leave anonymous reviews about your experience working at your company. Uh, You can look for jobs, you can write an article if you want. Uh, There's lots of ways to participate and you can connect with our our other members as well. Um, So I, I heartily invite you all to please come join our community. It's totally free. At fairygodboss.com. Correct. And how do you protect the anonymity? Yeah, um, great question. Um, (laughs) And it does come up. So it is linked to an email address, but the data is extremely um, highly protected in a way that our CEO, our CTO would answer for you. (laughs) (laughs) But you're just, but you can trust that this is not going to land on your boss's desk with, here's what you said about your management. And as a matter of fact, like in creating your profile, if you wanted to link it to an email address that was not identifiable, you could do that as well. So there's there's no need to have any kind of identifiable information on the site. uh, Sorry, that just made me think of one other thing. Like how granular is the insight and advice into companies? Is it like, I would assume it's not people specific, right? This manager versus that manager. And and actually we, it's against our community guidelines to post about an individual person. Okay. Maybe, Um, maybe that was a dumb question, but I just had that moment of, it's an an organizational level assessment, but that's just one column of the value of your community. Yes. And you can choose to give your department or you can choose not to. So sometimes we could say, we know about the engineering department of this company, but sometimes we don't even. 
Right. Okay. And then on top of that, like you said, there's the community to ask questions, to provide questions, to post articles and thought leadership pieces, to search for opportunities. I mean, it just seems like a real uh, marketplace and support network for women by women. That's the idea, to lift each other up. I and, love and it. And get each other's back, especially during a really hard year like this one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can't think of a more inspiring note to end on, Romy. So thank you so much for joining us. And I look forward to more collaborations with you this week. Me too, Bethany. Thank you. All right. Take care. Don't forget to jump over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. And please leave a review to give us direct feedback and also to get the podcast in front of more eyes. It's very much appreciated. 